Hi, and welcome to TSH Unravels, the podcast in which we unravel society one topic at a time. This is our way of educating ourselves on societal trends and developments and inspiring us and our community to take a stand and contribute to a fairer and greener world. Once again, we're at the Student Hotel, and today we're unraveling Pride. Now, with more than 30 years experience in the LGBTQIA research and communications, Ian Johnson can share everything Pride and what the community fights for and celebrates. Nanoa Struik represents the new generation of activists, being loud and unapologetic in their approach to smash the binary. Michiel Kolman is the special envoy for diversity and inclusion at Elsevier and will share how companies can work on creating an LGBTQIA inclusive work environment. And Amber Vineyard, the founder of ballroom culture in the Netherlands, enlights us on how ballroom, art and dance are an integral part of the community. Very happy to have you all here and to uh, uh, use another Unravels episode to talk about Pride, the history of Pride, but also how you are all playing your part in, uh, well, creating a better world in that sense. Um, Ian is, of course, also with us from Paris. Very t- happy to have you here, too. Um, before we dive into all of your stories uh, and the history of Pride and talk about the facts and the figures, um, we want to start off with a community statement. As with the previous episodes, we went into our community, into the hotels, to ask them a question about Pride, to hear what our community thinks and what they have to say about it. And so we asked our community, um, what comes to mind when you hear the word Pride? Um, is Pride a fight for equality or a celebration of acceptance? And in your personal life, how are you committed or linked to the Pride movement? So um, let's first have a listen to what they had to say about this. Amsterdam Pride. Having respect and love for the world and people and things. It's more a fight for equality. It's a celebration, I think. Actually, I would say both. On the one hand, celebrating what already is, but on the other hand, also be aware of what's still to gain. Yeah, I think it's really both. Maybe the celebration is something to create awareness and then for that, create equality. I think you're connected on a daily basis, I think. Seeing so many people happy and um, celebrating who they are, you know, it kind of reflects over everyone and, you know, seeing people happy also makes me happy. <laughs> Noah, I saw you bobbing your head to the music. Yeah. <laughs> um, regardless of the music, would you say Pride is uh, more of a fight for equality or a celebration of acceptance? Well, like in history, it's more like a fight for equality, but I'm very young. I'm like 21 and a half. So I'm very young and I've not been out of the closet for years, but like just recent. And I think I've always seen it as a a party, a celebration, something to, um, you know, have fun and be with your friends and family and your queer others. Um, But now that I've been more into researching uh, the Pride movement and into researching the history of Pride and queer history, I feel like it's more fighting for equality. Um, but also I think it's kind of, I just want it to be both, but I think I think it's more a celebration for people outside of the community and it's more a fight for equality for people inside of the community um, because we still experience inequality yeah so i think that's i hope it's i I hope it can be both okay 
Yeah, I see. And Michiel, then I I don't want to push you in the corner of the older generation, but because <laughs> Noah just said that they are 21, um, you are 21 and a bit. Um, so yeah, I'll have my age coming out later. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, then for you, would you say uh, indeed it has been more about a fight for equality and maybe recently it's become more about celebrating? So if I think about pride, like... Pride Amsterdam or Pride London, that's definitely the celebration. But if I think about Pride all year round, it's the fight for equality. Yeah. So you can be yourself at work, you can be yourself in any public space, you can be yourself in social settings. So that's really the fight for equality. Okay. Well, thank you. Let's talk a little bit about that fight for equality and the history of Pride. Um, Ian, we're going to head over to you uh, because you are uh, our expert today on Pride, everything Pride. Um, Ian, could I start with you and ask you more about the origin of Pride? Because we heard it here, of course, celebration, fight, equal rights movement. What is Pride? What is When When and why was Pride, the Pride movement, created? I, I think Pride is, is really interesting in that it's hard to define, but we know what it means. We feel it. In a sense, Pride is an attitude. It's an attitude that celebrates the equality of respect for people, other people. Um, Out Now's corporate motto is LGBT plus spells people because no matter what the acronym and, and the letters within the acronym, this is a human story. It's very much about respect for people and all people are equally deserving of respect. So that equality is essential. And I think that pride as a movement It started, but it actually started, it's it's interesting we talked today, it's 50 years ago it started, we're, we're, we're recording in July 2021. Back in 1971, uh, a gentleman by the name of Tom Higgins in Minneapolis, he and a group of friends were setting up some picnics in Minneapolis where they wanted to be visible as uh, being what was then just, the one word used then was gay, we didn't have the acronym LGBT, so they they went off to one of their picnics in a park in Minneapolis and Tom Higgins made a banner that they all marched behind going to the park and it just said gay pride. And after that, that started to, to sound a note amongst the US LGBT plus community because Stonewall, the riots in Stonewall had happened in 1969 and, and that's the famous beginnings of the LGBT plus community standing up and saying, We don't need to be invisible. We do not need to be disrespected. And we certainly do not deserve to be less than equal to everybody else in this society. And Stonewall literally was a riot. It went on for three nights at the, in Christopher Street in New York. It was in all of the media in New York. It was big news. I remember hearing about it as a child in Australia where I was growing up. So then in 1971, this Minneapolis picnics, Gay Pride, Someone in New York, a wonderful bisexual woman called Brenda Howard, Brenda heard about these picnics and she thought, ah, pride, I can use that. So she adopted that term and she then went into New York and pushed this concept of pride. So what had been marches to commemorate Stonewall happening just a couple of years earlier, they became, at her urging, pride celebrations and pride marches for equality of respect. And so initially, indeed, people might 
uh, have referred to it as, well, gay rights. Now, of course, we have the LGBTQIA plus community, so it's more than just gay rights. Uh, but pride indeed was the, the concept around literally being proud of who you are, being able to be who you are, be present, be acknowledged, be respected, uh, be human in that sense. It, it, it was a powerful signal that people were doing it in daylight and that they were standing up and not trying to hide or be ashamed. There, there had been a lot of shame imposed upon the yeah. LGBT plus community. Uh, over, the community had been degraded and criticised and mocked and ridiculed in media for years and decades leading up to this point. And there were people in the community that said, we don't deserve this. And they stood up in daylight and they said, we are proud to be who we are and we are equally deserving of respect. And that really resonated. And we still feel that today. And I feel that when we celebrate pride, we're celebrating that equality of respect to which all of us as humans are equally deserving. Yeah. And so you talk about being deserving of equal rights. What are some of the rights that the community has been fighting for and maybe still is fighting for in, in these years? The change that I've witnessed in this journey that I've been involved with uh, is immense. So when I established uh, the organization I'm working for out now in Australia, we I had to be quite cautious about telling people what I did for a living, that I was uh, an LGBT inclusion, uh, an LGBT plus inclusion consultant. And people didn't understand what it meant. They didn't understand what I would be doing. And that has changed and the visibility has changed. And I think we have uh, never made the progress that I would like to have seen in that three decades, but we've made amazing progress. We now have marriage equality in so many countries. And thank you to the Netherlands. I was living in the Netherlands on the 1st of April, 2001, when the Netherlands became the first country in the world with marriage equality. And so there was no such thing as gay marriage, as they were calling it in the media. There's just marriage. If yeah. two people wish to marry, they get married. And we've seen those that leadership flow through in many other parts of Europe and across the world. Um, those are the good stories. The other side of that coin are the 57 countries where you can still find yourself put in prison for certain kinds of sexual activity um, if, you are, if you are caught and, and decided to have a prison sentence put upon you. And in fact, in six countries, you can still be put to death if you are found to be, usually the laws are against homosexuality, but not only. There is uh, there are, there are some terrible strains happening, and even in Europe, in the east of Europe, we still find there are um, battles to be fought around visibility and acceptance. And these are these are ongoing struggles. But we have made great progress, but there is a lot more work to be done. Yeah, and because you indeed also mention uh, in uh, in Eastern Europe, well, we've we've heard the recent uh, developments, of course, on that uh, also with Hungary and then uh, the Euro Cup and protesting. Um, how does that f how does that feel for you does it feel like we're i don't mean to say backwards but uh if you indeed have some countries who are now uh uh, uh have agreed to marriage equality and people can be themselves and at the same time you indeed have countries that say um uh, it's still punishable by law or even the death sentence and then in europe where we do feel that we're very progressive in that sense we have countries of the eu saying no more um, how does that, well, it definitely hurts the cause, but how does that hurt? Like, what does that do for, for people and their identities in the community? We, we, see, we see change come uh, slowly 
and then very, very quickly in many occasions in life. And in the case, for example, of Poland, I've, I've marched in a pride parade in Warsaw, and there was an edge to the audience, very different to what I experienced when I've done the same in Paris or in London or in Sydney. And you could feel there was uh, a different vibe going on from the crowd towards those of us who were being visible. Um, however, even in Poland, for example, when you look at the the breakdown of people who are pro and anti, at the moment in some places, which have already traveled a great distance from where they were 30 years ago to today, um, you still find these struggles that are ongoing, but I believe that the clock always wins. And when you look at the demography and the opinions of people who are in their 20s and their 30s and their teens, these people are the future leaders in these countries, and those people are strongly supportive of equality, of respect for all people. And, and I feel very optimistic about the future in, in many, many places where it may seem difficult today. Yeah, so even though it it will take longer than, than what you'd hope for, time is indeed very important in that sense because uh, it's also it could also be a generational thing with the perspectives and the views people have on the LGBTQIA plus community. Absolutely. It's it we've seen it in many of the countries we're working in and it continues even in these countries. You you just look at the depth that the opinion polls and the, the polling that's done by age category and you can see it. The future is written there and yeah. we're just watching it unfold. Great. And so um about the because uh, indeed you uh, we we've talked about this in the in the conversation we have prior to this recording, you indeed talk of LGBTQ plus uh community. Um uh, uh I was taught that it's now LGBTQIA plus community. I've been practicing to be fluent in all the letters, <laughs> but about the community, it has, regardless of the letters itself, the community has actually, well, it seems to, to be expanding. Uh, more people are fe feeling free to label themselves a certain way, to identify themselves a certain way. I can imagine, Ian, that um, uh, the bigger the group becomes, the more complex the fight for equal rights becomes because People have different needs and what a trans person may need could be different to what a, a lesbian or, or, or a gay person needs. So how does the expansion of the community, how does that influence the, the, the fight or the, the, the movement uh, and working on equal rights? It's a great question. And my immediate response is to smile and to say that the dynamism of discussion is so powerful we have so many people who are joining the struggle for equality of respect and everyone being equally deserving of respect of being respected for who they are. It's wonderful. I love seeing it happen. The tensions that exist between different letters of the acronym, if you will, uh, we, we work in more than two dozen countries around the world and, and we, we have acronyms of different orders of the letters in Spanish-speaking places that we work in. And so the the one that we go with in our business, but we, we understand in different markets, different countries, they use different uh, versions of the acronym. We, we went with LGBT plus simply because it includes um, everyone in the plus. However, if I'm a Q, an I or an A, I think it's nice for me to feel that I'm visible in the acronym. I get that. But um, the, the main thing is really that... Um, this tension between these groups is not insurmountable. It can be dynamic. There can be tensions within the different groups about their needs and their concerns. Um, you don't you don't have to destroy each other to learn from each other through that discussion. 
And I feel positive about that. We, we've had, in our own case, we do a lot of research around the world. We've had fa fabulous discussions between um, intersex people, the I in the acronym, and trans people about how they view gender. And these have been important discussions. They've certainly helped to educate our team in the ways in which we do our work and the ways in which we view people and how they view themselves. Um, the ultimate, the ultimate keyword for me, as well as equality, is simply respect. As we learn to respect each other's differences, we can all end up strengthening each other as a result. Well, maybe it's as simple as in in brackets as live and let live. If you can be whoever it, you want to be, and I can be whoever I want to be, we don't necessarily have to understand each it, other, but we can just be. It's simple. It's definitely simple to say that. Uh, I know from having been in the middle of some of those discussions, it's not always simple to resolve. Oh. Um, <laughs> there is often, though, a path to find uh, that is able to coalesce the interest, almost like a Venn diagram, those circles which overlap. You find the piece in the middle, which is common to both, and you have a solution forward. Yeah. And indeed, so that's, of course, definitely part of the fight. And that has to do with uh, being recognized by law as equal and in uh, healthcare and in media and to just uh, be recognized as a person with needs and, and those needs can be met. But then indeed, in the broader sense, it's more about being respected and a sense of belonging and being able to exist freely and not indeed having to hide in the fringes or in the dark in that sense. So looking indeed for the opportunity to participate in society, whichever way you want or however you want, that's the ultimate goal in terms of equality and laws and regulations. And then being respected, sense of belonging, being free to be who you are in society. That is the, well, the meta goal, maybe even uh, because being able to and uh, having the rights to versus actually feeling like you can is of course a big yeah. difference. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I think so. I think we have to make that difference. We have to highlight the difference between lawfully being uh, accepted uh, yeah. in brackets or, you know, in an, indeed feeling accepted and feeling like part of the, the bigger community, like the human community, yeah. because there's such a big difference because we could marry here if you're queer, but maybe people still don't want to marry you because you're queer. So you could be married lawfully, but there are still people who don't want you to be married and who don't want to make your wedding cake, for example. Yeah. So lawfully, sure, but I feel like the, the acceptance of the community, of the human community, should be um, highlighted more. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Ian. These are the facts and the figures. This is the backstory. Um, uh, you, we'll get back to you, of course, later because we have so much more to talk about. But then now that we have the facts and figures, let's talk about making change. No, no, let's start with you. Right. Um, you identify as a trans non-binary queer person. That's right. Okay. And so you have your own podcast. Yeah, uh, I it's do. A, it's a Dutch podcast, so it's uh, uh, not to, for all our listeners. Yeah, but definitely. in your podcast, you talk a lot about this terminology and yeah. trying to educate people on what it means. Yes. So could I ask you to first, in that sense, introduce yourself and yeah. explain what it means to be a trans non-binary queer person? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, yeah, my name is Nanoa. I'm 21 years old. I live in Amsterdam and I do make a podcast. I do a lot of things um, surrounding the topic gender. I always say when people ask me, what do you do for work? I like I say, I talk and I write and I <laughs> 
make content about gender and sometimes I get paid for that. So that's my work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, my podcast. Um, First of all, I have to say definitions of terms are very difficult because language always changes. That's the beauty of it. Language is so fluent and you can change it and it changes rapidly, but it also changes very slow. Um, So for some people, the words I'm using is very new. For some people, it's very old and also the definition. So just don't come at me for anything that I'm it's saying. It's not final what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, it's not no. final. Like in, in 10 years, it's definitely going to be different. So the definition I use, um, being trans, Ian also said it is not being cisgender. Um, cisgender means that when you are born, for example, you're born with body A, we call it a women's body. The society calls it like that. That means you have a, a vagina, you have, uh, well, when you're older, most people have breasts. That's that's body A. Yep. If you are born with body A and you feel comfortable with body A, um, then and you identify as body A, so you identify as a woman, uh, a woman, then you are cisgender. Yeah, that's that's kind of the the, the simple explanation of being cisgender. Yeah. So that's me. My that, body that it, and my mind. Yeah. Connect so yeah, in that you you're, you were born with female sex and yeah. you identify as a female makes you a cisgender person. Um, if anything is not like that, so it could be a small thing, like you don't really identify like a woman or you just don't feel a gender at all. You could say you, you, uh, identify with the trans umbrella because it's an umbrella term. Yeah. Uh, being transgender doesn't mean you have to be, uh, you have to go from one gender to the other gender. That's no. a very uh, big uh, mistake. It doesn't have to be like that. You can also be a non-binary person, which is me, I'm non-binary. Um, and for me, it means that I just don't care about the binary that we um, we made up because yeah. we, we are making everything up. Yeah. <laughs> everything is made up. Everything's a social construct. Yeah, everything yeah. is a social construct. Gender, especially gender, it's a social construct. We once decided that body A is a women's body and body B is a, a male's body um, and that binary, I just don't care for it. So I don't identify with the binary. So I'm neither male or woman. Um, I'm just human. And I use the word non-binary to annoy cisgender people <laughs> because it's, <laughs> it's, a diff- it's a difficult word for people because it sounds very mathematic. Um, so I just use it so that people get annoyed and yeah. have to think about it. Uh, but I'm mostly human. So that's being non-binary and queer is also, um, I, I also, this is very difficult because queer, the word queer, I have discussions about this weekly. Sure. <laughs> um, it's a wonderful term. I think it's also an, an umbrella term. So being queer for me means that you are not cisgender and, or not hetero straight. So something within those, all those identities, you can just get the labels queer because it just fits for everyone, for most people. Um, But not everybody agrees. Some people think it's a mindset. Some people identify as cisgender and straight and also queer. I just don't feel comfortable with that yet. Maybe in the future I, I make a change of mind, but you know, being queer is just, it could be a lifestyle, it could be an identity, it could be anything actually. Queer is just so broad. So yeah, that's uh, that's me. That's, <laughs> and that's you. And that's, the, yeah, the definitions I would give okay. to explain it. And um, <laughs> uh, 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 Amber, would you, 
do you also identify as queer? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what what is queer for you? Is that similar to what Nanoa is saying? Yeah, definitely, because I get it's also discussions every week, and depending on who you're talking to, and um, <laughs> yeah, um, for myself, yeah, I I think growing up, you know, I've always been comfortable with she and her, um, but I also use pronouns they and them. And occasionally a daddy. Yes. <laughs> yes. You can't? Okay. Yeah. And that femme top kind of behavior, oh honey. Goodness. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I've always kind of, I've always just felt human. Okay. Because from what I also uh, read is uh, queer, uh, uh, well, was introduced also as a, as a derogative term. Yeah. Um, and as such, uh, from what I read, because of course you read up on, what would you like to discuss here? Not everyone feels comfortable using the label queer. Yeah, it's a reclaimed label. Yeah, it's a yeah. reclaimed label. But or I can we are reclaiming it. Yeah, but I can imagine that uh, similar, of course, to uh, discussions about using the N word. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and some people say we're reclaiming the word, while others are saying I don't ever want to hear that word again. Mm -hmm. I can imagine it's a similar discussion within the LGBTQIA plus community whether. You want to you want queer to be a part of or a, a label within the community, Michiel. How do you look at that? So I'm very active in the workplace pride, um, and there we always talk about the alphabet. We use LGBTI, uh, yeah. and then so, so we added actually the, the Q and the plus uh, this year. Okay. To kind of acknowledge that uh, yeah, it's part of our community. Uh, it's now it's a mouthful, LGBTIQ+. Um, and especially when I have interviews in Dutch, I get completely confused. But uh, in English, I think I can just uh, manage. But I think it's very, it's extremely important. These changes are happening. If you look at uh, Generation Z or Z, 16% they, they they identify as 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 queer, as non-binary, as uh, as lesbian, as gay, at, at least not straight. And so, and that's a m much larger group than the, if you look at previous generation, like my generation. I'm, I'm a man in my fifties. Um, <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yeah, I'm coming <laughs> you out. You got it yeah. out. Yeah, coming out again. <laughs> Don't call me daddy. Um, anyway, <laughs> so and and I think it's important also in the workplace that we acknowledge that there's a new generation of people joining the workforce, and and they're not traditional straight. They're not traditional just lesbian or gay, but they identify as non-binary, as uh, as queer. And I think we should be, uh, you know, open to everybody, and and that's why I think it's important that we added those letters. Yeah. And the plus yeah. is there too. So yeah, yeah. for for your uh, your A or S or whatever yeah, you still room. yeah, it's there. Yeah. yeah. Adding on to it, I think for me, it's being queer. Um, well, actually, even going back, like when people would ask me, like, so Amber, which which letter are you? Which letter are you in the alphabet? <laughs> yeah. You need to you be know? a letter. And I've always been like. It's freaked me out, and then I've came with, well, I'm OTA, and the people are like, OTA, like, what the hell is that? I'm like, it's open to all. Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, so you're pansexual. I'm like, Pan there's yeah, pansexual, but, but OTA but sounds fun. Yeah. You know? yeah. OTA is like, ooh. Pansexual sounds like the dishes, you know, like <laughs> like doing the dishes, like washing pans and stuff like that. And I, I also use pansexual, but everybody gets confused, and they're like, but isn't it just like bisexual and I'm like just you know I'm queer I'll fuck you if you have something and exactly. if you're nice like whatever so yeah. you know so when I say open I, to can all I, wait, like, can I curse in this book yeah you okay. can curse yeah, sure. fine. I think <laughs> you can you're the first one to do so but I yeah. think you can that's, that's on being 21 <laughs> <laughs>
And um, uh, uh, Nanoa, what is uh, what is your activism? So, what are you actually striving for? Because yeah. you are you are quite um, active and engaged and yeah. loud in the positive yeah, sense. Yeah. So, what are you trying to achieve? Yeah. So, it's all about queerness. It's all about gender equality. It's all about gender diversity. And I feel like. Um, Actually, I'm just trying to smash the binary. Just, I'm just trying to get rid of it. I'm just trying to um, have people think about being so... We're just so narrow-minded with this. We decided to have so many people just put them in one category and the other category. Like, how can we even think that works? It just doesn't. Even biologically, it doesn't. Even Ian just talked about uh, people with intersex conditions. There are so many more options, and I just want people to know that. So I try to be visible and annoying and just out there for people to um, recognize themselves. In me, I think the the 16% we were talking about, uh, uh, the people of my generation, um, who are now yeah, defining themselves as queer or trans or whatever. It's 16%. That's a lot of people, but that's because they can recognize themselves in whatever they're seeing. So we are out there now. And I'm trying to be that for my little brother who's now six and his world needs to be more open and there needs to be a higher percentage because I believe there is a higher percentage yeah. and I just want people to know that. So I strive to well, I just want the world to be a better place. I want the yeah. world to be OTA, you know? So it's also very much about literally being visible literally. to others and, and representation. and yeah, yeah, literally just a seat at the table that we were yeah. just talking about, a seat at the table and um, to not talk about uh, people with, but with people yeah. of a community. And I think I'm trying to make that clear to everybody yeah. who's now the norm uh, that we were, uh, that we are here and that we want to have a voice. And that you want to have a voice. And could you tell me, because indeed you're saying, uh, I want to smash the binary. Absolutely. Get yes. rid of the binary. Uh, yeah. In a previous podcast with feminists, we talked about smashing the patriarchy. Yeah. Systems change. That's what we want. Yes. Could you tell a bit more about um, how the binary affects you in daily life and what yeah. some of the challenges are that yeah, you definitely. run into are? Ooh, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I can go on for hours. Okay, well, we, we have I about 45 minutes. Make so it short. <laughs> I will make it short, but like, our world is the the binary is our world at this moment. It's yeah. the norm. It's the standard. It's what we have to be. Um, so if you are not that, everything just doesn't work. So for example, this is the most common example and the most well, people just understand it. You have toilets. We know yep. public toilets. You have to do your thing. I'm human. That's the human part of me. <laughs> I have to go to the toilet. Yeah. So when I have to go to the toilet, there's two choices that I have mostly. Um, and that's the men's room or the women's room or, you know, yeah. that's the choices you have. Um, and if you're neither, then where the fuck do you go to yeah. pee, you know? So then you could say, I can go to both, but I don't feel safe at both. I, yeah. I don't feel safe being in the men's room because then maybe they see I'm not a man and I will get beaten up. You know, you, you yeah. don't know you what don't happens. Know. But when I go to the women's room, they think I'm not a woman, so do they don't feel safe. No. Because I'm, a, well, it's sadly because I'm a person of color and sometimes I'm male passing, so they think I'm a male. And that just, that's just not a safe feeling for, for women. So I can not pee because I cannot feel safe or I make other people feel unsafe. unsafe yeah. So this is just one of the small examples that this world is not made for people like me. Yeah. yeah. 
and it's a lot. <laughs> and what, what does that do to you? Like, how does that? I've, I sound like a psychiatrist now. How does that make <laughs> yeah. you feel? How do you feel? But, yeah. but no, but I can imagine that being confronted with being different yeah. in brackets all day long yeah. does something to your well-being. Yeah. Well, normally, well, in the beginnings, like I'm out of the closet of being non-binary for I think four years now. Um, so it, in the beginning it made me very sad because I just didn't see, I just, you, yeah, you get confronted with that you don't fit in. And now I'm very much, I'm so happy that I don't fit in because <laughs> it's so boring to be straight <laughs> and cisgender, like no offense at all, but it's like, fine, I'm so taken. glad that I'm, <laughs> that I'm not, but it's just, it's just frustrating to not yeah. be seen uh, for who you are. Yeah. People just really want to put you in one of the boxes. And I don't want to be in their boxes. No. I want my own box. I want to make it. I want to smash it whenever the fuck I want. It's my box. And yeah. they don't decide. But they are trying to decide. Yeah. And it's just very frustrating. And it makes me angry. And I'm trying to be positive in my activism as well. Um, but it's very difficult when people are just just trying to make your life difficult. Yeah. To stay positive. Um, so yeah, it just frustrates me and makes me angry and makes me want to change literally everything. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> well, and that comes back, of course, to what Ian also said about the pride movement and what you also mentioned. It's not just about law and regulations. It's very much about feeling accepted. Yeah. Yeah. And if the only choice in the bathroom is male or female, you don't feel accepted. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm, I was trying to say. And also the thing, there's one thing that connects us all and that's just being human that yeah. it just connects us if you want it or not we are human so that's that makes us equal in that way yeah so i just want people to uh to feel that as well yeah. and that's that's the most important thing and looking at acceptance um uh there's more uh, uh famous people uh coming out uh in, in different shapes and forms i mean we finally have professional athletes in what are considered very masculine sports, such as the NFL in the US and the NHL, I think I saw two days ago, coming out as gay. We have Elliot Page, um, who came out as a trans man. We have Demi Lovato, who identifies as non-binary. How important is that? Well, what I uh, always say is what you see is what you can be. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was younger, um, I didn't see myself on television. I didn't see myself in the media. I just felt that there was something different. There was something um, that just didn't match with my other, um, well, friends or, you know, s people around me. But I just couldn't, I just didn't know what it was. And I just never saw anyone that was different in a way that I could relate to. So now that people are who are so visible, like Elliot Page or Demi Lovato, who's actually my icon, um, <laughs> Now that I see them being visible, now that other people can see them being visible, they can recognize themselves in their stories or their lives or their whatever. And it's just a very pleasant feeling to know that you're not alone. Yeah. And seeing those very famous people uh, being something that you can also be, it's just so, it's just a feeling that I cannot even explain. It's just so good and makes you feel safe even, you, even though you don't know them. You know, I've... I don't, I've never met Elliot Page, but I just cried when he came out of the closet because this is just such good news for my brother, 
who's six years old yeah and his generation yeah and people can now look up to um people that they can recognize themselves in yeah so that's so the visibility is just everything okay visibility saves lives yeah, just shows what's possible what's actually possible because society pushes the binary on us so much yeah and i think actually for me that's kind of what queer being queer is 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 um skipping all the heteronormative <laughs> binary things and lifestyle and ways of being and and not saying that that's not the way to go but saying that that is just a possibility yeah. that we can choose. You can choose to be straight. You can yeah. choose to be heterosexual and live that lifestyle. But there's other choices to be made and that, that should be possible. Exactly. And it's yeah. not the default. No, it's just it there's all these the possibilities. Yeah. Well, which way do we go? And there, shouldn't, <laughs> there shouldn't be a default at all. No. There just, there just should be options. Yeah. That's exactly. There should be options, no default, no standard, no norm, because it's not necessary. We don't need it. No. And, and we made great progress. I mean, if we had this discussion 20 years ago, I wouldn't be able to mention any transgender politicians. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to mention any openly gay CEOs. No. And and that of course has all changed. And I think that and that's something we should all acknowledge. And we're it's taking also over. super interesting. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're taking over <laughs> world domination. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting, of course, because um uh it's it's not like they weren't there before. Exactly. We, we can't no. say that the community has just appeared. No. The community's been around for a really long time. Okay. But like you said, you yeah. had to live in the fringes and you weren't allowed to... Or well, in the closet. Or in the closet, literally, yeah. well, literally uh, figuratively speaking. Uh, yeah. And you couldn't be who you are, but, but the community was always there. But now indeed gaining visibility, um, uh, famous people saying, I'm also part of this community. You liked me before. You liked me on Thursday. I came out on Friday. Why would you not like me on Saturday? Exactly. Nothing's changed. And that's important indeed yeah. to see, uh, and also indeed in the workplace, more, um, uh, 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 well, in, in general, the LGBTQIA plus community, more women, more people of color, the more you see it represented, the more that you can feel this is who I can be. Great. Okay. Moving on to culture, uh, which is also a big part, uh, of course, of the community. Um, I want to start off with the basics again, Amber, because yes. uh, we're, <clears throat> we're focusing also on terminology because we're trying to educate people Work. in this podcast. Yeah. So you are the mother of the House of Vineyard. Correct. And you were the first one to bring ballroom culture uh, to the Netherlands. Correct. I am the mothering pioneer of the Netherlands. And you should be proud of it, too. Yes. Um, so could you explain to us what is ballroom? Yeah. And what is a house? Yeah. Um, well, uh, ballroom culture comes from New York City, and it was created by and for black and brown, queer, transgender, non-conforming people. Um, and it's a space basically created out of resistance. Um, and yes, the LGBTQIA plus is a marginalized community, but on top of that, we also have to, um, race. And in that sense, so if you're already gay, trans, queer, any of the above, that's already one chop from society. And then if you are black or of color, it's also your second chop from society. Um, and let's face that, that's it's been so embedded into our society that it's present also within a marginalized community. So um, back in the days, uh, you had uh, drag queen ball pageants and Sadly, the queens of color weren't able to ever win. Um, 
And what happened was Crystal LaBeja said, you know what, fuck this. <laughs> we're going to go create our own space and our own place where we're going to walk our own balls. And that started in Harlem. And yep. that was the uh, birth of where uh, Crystal LaBeja founded the first house, uh, House of LaBeja. And from then on, uh, yeah, the community, that was the safe haven for... Um, yeah, for the community there. Uh, it was a safe haven and that one place where they could um, be anything they wanted to be and celebrate each other and be safe. And is a house uh, a, a physical house or yes. is it also a, a So you have the balls community. Yeah. and then of all the houses, you, you go to the ball. Yeah. So um, as people from the community uh, were not always accepted by our families and by our blood relatives. I, I call them blood relatives rather than families um, because my house is my family. Yeah, your chosen family. Yes, so the house is your chosen family and uh, you have a mother, you have a father, you have the children um, and we care for each other and support each other as a family household. Um, and together you go to a ball and you represent your house and, uh, yeah, you, um, show off all your amazing talents. You compete. <laughs> and you compete. Yeah. Yes. So you compete for trophies. Yeah. And why did you decide that you wanted to become a mother? I never wanted to become a mother. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, ju they, ju they just <laughs> I mean, gave you the title. <laughs> I don't know, like, who signs up to be a mother? Okay. <laughs> um, I never wanted to be a mother. I was never even wanted to have my, my own house in the beginning because I just, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, but I guess me being alone here in the Netherlands, um, also not from here, um, yeah, I found my own, I founded my own chosen family. And in that sense, I guess I've been doing things that I always wish anything I needed, I, I created. Um, and I've been doing that since I was very young. And I naturally was doing that here. So I remember when I first met my ballroom parents. Mm -hmm. So I was, I met, uh, the grandfather of the house of Ninja and the father, uh, Benny Ninja. Um, they're, when they are based in the States or yes, in, they're all based in the, in the States. States. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, they were traveling in Europe and I found out and I took, went to go find them. <laughs> so, um, and they mentored me. And then in the end I started everything that it gave the culture and they gave me, I felt like, there's so much here in the Netherlands that needs that. Um, and I just started creating and people came. And now we have a thriving ball community um, with over, I think, eight houses now. Um, so, yeah, I'm not the only one anymore. No. And it's spreading and it's the community is absolutely beautiful. Uh, they just had the Black Pride Ball uh, a couple weeks ago, which was amazing. And I, so I'm not even the only person throwing balls anymore. <laughs> that means I've done a good job. Yeah. <laughs> and um, because you mentioned uh, Black Pride and you also said the 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 houses in the ballroom culture were initially created uh, specifically for black and brown yeah. uh, uh, people, uh, yeah. trans people, uh, non-conforming people. Um, they had to create their own community because they had to deal with race. How is that going today? Because you also just mentioned Black Pride, which sounds like something slightly different than 
pride. So how how are we doing in terms of race? Yeah, well, we have lots of work to do. Um, and that's something why something like black pride, is, I feel like, is also very important. Um, because in pride itself, I feel like we've missed a lot of the marks. Um, and it's been very whitewashed. Um, and those are conversations that we need to continue to have. And black pride is something to celebrate blackness, uh, for black, brown people to come together and feel safe and, and be together. Um, and I call it almost like a place of healing as well. Um, I think, and that's just very important. I think it's, uh, important that we have both, that we have, uh, so I throw balls that are OTA, that are open mm -hmm. to all. And I, I think it's important for the black, brown, POC community to also have balls for themselves as well. I think it's both. Both are important to have. Yeah. And healing is important. Yeah. And with healing, you do you mean that uh, it's about feeling accepted both in your, maybe your queerness, but also in your blackness? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, definitely. And that both can exist at yeah. the exact same time. Yes. Uh, because like you said, it might feel that one is already to chop and then the second is even more. So I can imagine that it's, that it could be very conflicting in your head about your identity and who you are and that then a house can offer this certain space where you can explore and accept it. Very much. And in, um, in black, brown, uh, POC families, it's the, um, the stigma is even it's a lot. It can be a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michiel, in, in, in your work and specifically, uh, also at Elsevier, um, do you also have that distinction or do you focus? Maybe I shouldn't say the distinction, but do you also have a, a focus specifically on black and brown people within the LGBTQIA plus community? So uh, we have a broader uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, and we look at all the different lenses of, of diversity. So, and race and ethnicity is certainly one of them. And we also look at intersectionality. Yeah. Because you know, it's impossible to be, you know, a lesbian in the morning and, and black <laughs> in the afternoon and, and a yeah. woman in the evening, right? Yeah. So you always have to take your whole self uh, to work. And of course, there's also a political uh, uh, dimension to that. So you know, if the, the people of color community or the black community uh, with, with its issues and at the same time you have the LGBTIQ community and I think uh, there's quite some overlap and if there's solidarity, it's I think something we should all support. Yeah, so that's yeah. also something that you work on within yeah, your absolutely. work. Okay, yeah. um, Amber, um, well, actually there's a, there's one question that I'm very interested in yeah. uh, in terms of uh, dancing. Yeah, uh, because dancing plays a big part in the ballroom culture and then specifically voguing. Yeah. Um, to what extent is it mere entertainment uh, or is it maybe also part of the, well, the resistance, the fight for equality? Like, how do you see dance within the ballroom culture? That also will also depend on who you are. Okay. <laughs> and um, maybe then how, how you do, identify how, as how well. How do you use it? Well, for me, the thing is, I, I work in a lot of different spaces and I'm educating and I'm also teaching um, and also I have my house that we're coming together and training. Um, you know, you have ballroom and then you have Vogue. Like voguing is a small part in ball and that's the performance aspect. Um, and it's, you know, some people would look at it like, like wow, that is amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's it beautiful. beautiful. And so, yeah, people are very entertained and it can be entertaining. Um, but for uh, for some people, it's it's actually like 
the most mind opening thing to see and like, wow, I can embrace that. I can be that. It, it is a form of resistance. It is, I can, I can be feminine. I can be powerful in my body and I can walk into a room and, and with my head held high and you will look at me. It's really the statement like, I am here. I will be respected. I will be seen and you can't take that from me. Yeah. It's very kabow. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, um, I think, and with that comes, you practice that. And with that practice, it's almost like you become, you become that. And um, I watch my kids, I've seen myself uh, and throughout my growth, just you walk with your head higher, stronger, taller, you're louder. Um, and it's super hot. And so, <laughs> so is it, so it's, is it, should I see it as, part of also accept well on the one hand accepting who you are yourself but on the other Definitely. end also saying to the world i'm no longer hiding this is who i am the thing is in society as queer people you walk around society and people stare okay people stare and it's not always fun <laughs> so sometimes what I, what i love about ballroom is when i walk the runway it's i know you're looking at me and you can't take your eyes off me. So get into it, baby. It's this, yeah, it's kind of taking that that, that gaze back and yeah. um sort of like re reclaiming as well. Yeah, as the, like, like yeah. the queer the queer yeah. the term, like reclaiming that yeah. That, yeah. that that stare actually. In that it can be in that sense. And it also depends on your category because in we're all different. We all have different bodies, different sizes, different talents, different things. And again, just like we talked about before, like if we celebrate each other's differences, wow. And in ball culture, I feel like there's a category for everybody, yeah. any shape, any size, and whether it's dance, whether it's um, uh, fashion, whether it's even realness. Yeah. And these are all really important things. And there's something special about all of us. Yeah. And uh yeah, in ball culture, you can explore those things. Yeah, and you have this, you can claim space and you have the space to uh, re like research who you are, uh, accept who you are, develop who you are maybe also. Definitely develop who you are. And, um, and within the community, um, you definitely empower each other for sure. Okay. And I feel like, I feel like the world could learn so much from ball culture. <laughs> and so, uh, because we also also always like to inspire our listeners with, uh, well, uh, things that they can watch and see and read and learn if they want to know more about ballroom culture also, because you said, well, if it's genuine, then it also helps me in uh, spreading the story and also diving deeper into the details. What are some of the things that you would rec recommend people to go watch, go read? Uh, I heard you say pose. Yeah, pose is, well, definitely uh, you want to, catch that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have stuff, stuff like legendary now, but um, if you can like dive into some old documentaries, like while well, Paris is burning is one of them. Um, but there's a hidden one, like how do I look, for example, because Paris is burning got so much of that. Um, yeah. The limelight. Yes. But there's so much other uh, stories out there. So there's like Kiki as well. But how do I look is one of my favorite um, ones because it also focuses so much on not the tragedy, it focuses on actually the beauty and how F and of people from ball culture who are queer and trans and gender nonconforming going to college, picking up um, 
extreme like life lessons yeah. uh, and tools to survive in life in in everyday life yeah, yeah. that's where um you know a lot of people from ball culture end up as fashion designers as makeup artists as um actresses and models and there's a lot of other so stuff happening. Place. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So come through. Come through. Okay. Let's talk about the work with Ian and Michiel then. Um, Michiel, um, so you actually have a really nice title because you're a special envoy on diversity and inclusion at Elsevier, your job. Um, and you focus on, well, you also mentioned it in more general, a DNI inclusive work mm -hmm. environment, but also specifically for the LGBTQIA plus community. What does that mean? How do you do that? How do you create a more inclusive um, uh, work environment for the LGBTQIA plus community? Yes. Yeah, so, and, and we heard it before, uh, it's definitely about increasing the visibility. Yeah. And one kind of really positive source of energy you can tap into is this employee resource group. So the pride groups. Yeah. And, and so what we've done, we started 10 years ago uh, at Elsevier at the same time in Philadelphia and in Amsterdam. We, uh, we launched our first pride groups uh, and now we have 15 around the world. Uh, we started one actually in Rio de Janeiro after one of our colleagues was beaten up in uh, homophobic violence. Uh, but we also have pride groups in Chennai, India, and in the Philippines, where it is not that e easy to be part of uh, the LGBTIQ plus community. Um, they have budgets, they have uh, time to organize lots of fun things, social events, which are usually fundraisers. So for instance, well, something like eight years ago, we started with the drag queen bingo. I was, when they first you know, proposed it to me, I could not really imagine a big Dutch drag queen. The Dutch guys are tall, but the drag queens are even huger. <laughs> in our, you know, canteen where we eat a, you know, cheese sandwich. Um, but in the end, it's like the highlight of the year. And especially my straight colleagues, they always ask me around May, so when is drag queen bingo? <laughs> and I always have to explain it's during uh, Amsterdam Pride. It's at the end of, uh, of July. You have to wait a little longer. Be so, patient. Uh, and that kind of visibility is, is, is excellent. We also organize lots of serious uh, events, for instance, about the use of prep or uh, how, to, about, you know, how to be yourself at work. You know, the, the, the concept that you have a coming out when you're 20 and then everybody in the world knows that you're gay or lesbian is, is very naive because in, in a work situation, we are often in completely uh, you know, new clients who then tell all about their lives and their wives and their kids. And then is that then a good moment, for, you know, for you to say, oh, by the way, I, you know, I have a husband. And so that coming out is an interesting question. I think super important also that there is a strong support from the top. So mm -hmm. we, we got a, a new CEO at Elsevier a couple of years ago. Uh, she is a rather young uh, Turkish woman. And the first thing she said when she started is that, well, we have five priorities. And one priority is that we're fully supportive of diversity and inclusion. And if there are people here that don't make it possible for others to be themselves, there's no room for those people. Oh, wow. And I thought, okay, you know, <laughs> this is the kind of statement uh, you yeah. really need. So support from the top and also happening that, that activism from the bottom is ex yeah. extremely important. And you indeed already mentioned it, uh, communications, internal, external. Ian, you focus a lot on um, uh, companies and external communications indeed, marketing to the outside world. Now, um, 
in the run-up to Pride, there's always a lot of companies who feel the need to express their support for the cause. And you indeed see logos changing and the rainbow flag is suddenly prevalent everywhere, it seems. Um, um, uh, they sometimes introduce new policies or new products and services, and some are met with enthusiasm. Uh, recently, of course, the, uh, the, the Lego set, but some are also, well, very much accused of pinkwashing. Could you first, because like I said, education terminology, so could you first explain what pinkwashing is? And then I'd very much like to hear what you think of all these companies and their um, marketing around pride. Yes, um, pinkwashing is a term which is slowly being replaced by a similar term, rainbow washing. Okay. And uh, they originate, basically pinkwashing originates because in the Nazi camps, concentration camps, um, homosexuals were forced to wear a pink triangle um, and they were imprisoned. So that color pink and the pink triangle was reclaimed in the 70s and that was used by individuals from the community to say, we are proud, we're visible. And so before the rainbow, it was a pink triangle, but then the rainbow in from the 70s on became the dominant icon of the community. The rainbow washing issue is one that is perennial. It comes up every June. Um, I have my own views about what companies do. So a lot of our work is focused both on external communications, that's correct, but very much what we are mainly doing these days is internal education of workplace teams. And we teach them how not to assume things, how not to make a mistake. And if they do say something wrong, how do they correct it in a way that can strengthen the bond that they have and the and the visibility they show to, to members of the community? Um, with the rainbow washing, I was asked about this recently, and products are risky. If you want to just slap a rainbow onto your product, um, Burger King did this. They had a pride burger or a hamburger. It was it was just a Whopper wrapped in a rainbow wrapper, and it was just berated as being ridiculous. And it was so offensive because it was just a cash-in, whereas the Lego set that you mentioned is quite different because the designer of that set happens to be a gay man, and he talks about – and Lego.com, the website, had as the hero image for um, several weeks in June – everyone is awesome, this new pride kit. And it was wonderful. And so you click once and you are seeing a story. You're seeing a gay man talking about HIV AIDS, growing up, being in the closet, being discriminated against, how that felt. And that was a case study example of how to do that well. And they Most joined Workplace Pride as well. Oh, they joined a your organization. Ago, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Most companies don't necessarily get it that right. Uh, products are risky. When it comes to social media and logos, we, we are quite, um, I'm quite, uh, I hate the word tolerant because you tolerate things you don't like. And in a way, it's apt in this case because I tolerate or I accept that corporations don't feel able to put the rainbow logo during Pride Month on their logo in every market. So BMW, for example, will do it on their global brand and in Germany and USA and elsewhere, but they won't do it in United Arab Emirates and other places. And what I say about that is there's a part of me, the activist part of me, that wishes they would do it everywhere, and I want 100%. However, if I insist on 100%, I'm entering into a lose-lose situation. I know if I go to Dubai and my partner and I are walking down the street, for my own personal safety, 
I will think about who is watching us and how much visibly we show that we are two gay men. And I feel that corporations are pushing boundaries in ways that I never could have imagined as a teenager growing up in a small town in Australia. And when I see the Pride logo during that social media blitz during June, firstly, I wish I'd see it more times in the year unexpectedly. I think that would make a better impression out of the blue. But I'm not going to critique them and insist they must do that everywhere because if I insist that, I know what will happen. Many companies will feel unable to do it in certain markets and they will do it nowhere. Mm -hmm. And so the company will lose and the community will lose and my teenage self will lose a piece of visibility that I would love to have seen the brands that I loved showing a symbol that said to me, you're fine and you are welcome and, and we respect you. So so that's that's my take on it. But then would you say even if it's so indeed, uh, like you said, uh, a whopper with a rainbow flag doesn't really do anything very inauthentic, very uh, transparent in what they're trying to do here. So uh, uh, we won't allow it or like we're not going to engage with that. Uh, Lego, a uh, lot more genuine, has a backstory, etc. But then um, rainbow flags, use them in logos. On the one hand, they create more visibility. Very happy with that. On the other hand, might still feel a bit, maybe the word is shallow in, in my head, but even if it's shallow, it's still doing something in your, for you. If you want to be accepted for what you do as a corporation, you need to prove to me and to people like me that I can believe in you. Um, I don't like the word authenticity so much. I think it's become inauthentic through being overused by people who aren't actually authentic. And I like the word integrity and honesty and truth. Um, and, and if you can visibly show me that you genuinely, and so a lot of our work is involved in staff training. So we go into corporations, we help them understand what is LGBT plus, what are the other letters in the acronym if you extend it, What's coming up in the younger group who are seeing Q and queer as something comfortable? Q and queer is not comfortable for some heterosexual people in their 60s who have worked at the corporation for 40 years. And we want to explain to them how they can also become an ally. So we educate them about what's coming and the words and the language. But we explain to them, you should feel comfortable. What we want is your visibility as an ally. Mm -hmm. So you choose the term that fits for you. You talk about what kind of an ally you are, but we want you to come and be visible because if you can't be seen, you can't be an effective ally. So, so much of our work is in working with corporations, helping their employees understand how to become visible as an ally. Being an ally is everything. Yeah. Michiel, do you agree? Being an ally is everything? Oh, completely. I mean, we are uh, a minority uh, and it's a majority that really determines the company culture. So you must get the allies on board. Yeah. And nothing is more, you know, uh, powerful than this situation. And an ally says, hold on. I don't think, you know, you did the right thing here. Much yeah. more powerful than if I, as a member of the community, would say that. Amen. Yes. Yeah. So you don't just necessarily need the LGBTQIA plus community to speak up. Maybe even more so, you need the non-LGBTQIA. We need the allies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the allies. Yeah. Uh, in, in our education workshops, one of the key slides that we present is allies must come out. Yes. Yeah. You cannot be an ally if you do not come out as an ally. You need to say it. You need to be visible. You need to be seen to be an ally. You become a role model for other people to follow you. And in doing that, you create change as an ally. Every single one of us can be a role model. 
as in the choices we make of what we say and what we do. You can be a role model for your other team members by doing this well, by respect, respecting your LGBT plus guests. And so uh, if, comp- if I understand you correctly, if companies want to be true allies, uh, preferably not just in the month of June, but throughout the whole year, mm-hmm. they indeed are allowed to change their logo, but it means that in the back or like in the companies themselves, they should also be vocal, work on it, speak out, and indeed not just go, you as the LGBTQIA plus community can be here, well, tolerate you like Ian says, but more we as a company stand for this and everyone in the company and not just the LGBTQIA plus community will uh, uh, show it and say it and, and act upon it. I think so many people uh, focus on like, okay, we need, you know, we need to make these changes and, um, um, and there's so much weight that comes with it. And where I also talk with companies and do consulting and that there's so much beauty and there's so much gold in having a diverse, uh, table, um, that it's better for everybody. That's exactly what it is. It's not like, sometimes I feel like people invite me because I'm of color and I'm Mm non-binary, you know, to check a, to check Check a box. box. Yeah. 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 And you shouldn't be checking a box. You should see the qualities that someone is delivering because people of minorities and people of who are not the the standard have so much to offer. Yeah. So I feel like it should be a celebration that you are inviting me, you know, or inviting whoever uh, within the community. Yeah. And and also see your potential. So not just, it's, it's good for our, uh, for our storytelling or our DNI, but she, they actually bring something to the table. Everybody brings something to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, LGBTQIA plus community yeah. brings something different to the table that yeah. uh, queer, uh, I mean, uh, straight and cisgender people don't have or yeah. don't Might see. Might not even see. Yeah. You know, who, all, who wants just pasta? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I want so a mix much. of yeah. lots of different things. Yeah. And there's even a business case. So yeah. the yeah. organizations which are more diverse, are more creative, are more innovative. Yeah. Uh, they take better decisions. Yeah. It takes a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. There's but, a bit more discussion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but also, it, at the end, and it catches those end. blind exactly. spots because yeah. let's face it, if, 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 like, if it was just all of me sitting at a table with five Ambers, I'm going to have tons of blind spots. Yeah. So I, the more diverse that table is, the more inclusive it is, the less blind spots that some, a company or an individual have. Yes. And, Adding just a little on that, like uh, so many people I've spoken to, especially allies, are so afraid, so afraid to speak up. And because the, especially with oh, language is changing so fast, I can't keep up. I don't know the letters. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, so I just don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. And it's so dangerous. Um, I think it's important that to under, for allies to understand you will fuck it up. You will mess it up. You're going to do something wrong. <laughs> You're going to say the wrong thing. It'll happen. And that's going to be okay because we're going to recover from that and we're going to learn. And the only way we can do that is by uh, understanding and supporting and like and being accountable for like, hey, okay, I could do this better. And that's okay. Yeah. you know, And that's all right. How do we just get better? And maybe also look for a certain... Um, uh, willingness to learn. I think also uh, looking at companies, maybe uh, from my personal experience, I also feel, I always feel like they want to portray the perfect picture. Uh, so uh, exactly. uh, uh, what often happens is either they 
present something as it was the perfect picture and then they uh, fall down a, uh, a fall of their pedestal because it turns out to be a lie yeah. or they are therefore very silent uh, but indeed uh, we seem to be a bit scared of being in the middle saying we want to learn about this we don't know everything yet um, but we're trying yeah uh, but I feel and that kind of maybe also ties into the next uh, question that I also had yeah. because to me, it seems like people are also getting a bit scared because of, well, cancel culture and it being yeah. quite prevalent right now. Um, and uh, uh, I think people, but also companies are, well, sometimes scared to be canceled. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering, because of course, uh, uh, well, the most recent ones were, uh, for example, comments made by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie and JK Rowling on trans women. Um and they are, they are uh, for, uh, in some part, at least for a, a big part of the community, they are canceled for it. Um, how should we deal with that? Because indeed, if we want people to learn and if we want people to try to become allies, but people are also scared of cancel culture, where, where do we meet? Well, you know, knowledge is power and education is power. And I feel like people should, we should educate people on wanting to learn. So we should educate them on the topic, but we should also educate them on wanting to learn and how much fun it is to learn everything or to learn a lot of things. You cannot know everything, but it is just fun to know that you can keep on learning. You, you never stop learning. Yeah. And you should educate people on the funness of learning. Yeah, like, let's not get angry. Let's get curious. Yeah, let's get curious. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's it. But then, um, Ian, uh, your personal opinion on this, do you feel that cancel culture is a good thing do we feel that some people may need to be cancelled or companies need to be cancelled personally i'm against the whole term of cancel culture uh, i am in favor of the term consequences but i think it's a two-way street i think what uh is warranted and is justified are consequences but we've been talking today a lot about education the importance that we share knowledge this is key we need to do it in a way that creates a space for people to learn. And even where somebody doesn't learn initially, we need to continue to provide the opportunity for that person to learn through providing better information or present and package it in different ways or, or find a way in to help people to understand because we are all human. And so, but I don't think people should lose the ability to have a voice because they share an alternate opinion to other people unless that opinion is directly damaging people. And that, I guess, is where the debate sets in because there are people for whom the position of certain people um, it, the problem, I think, is adamancy or being too adamant that you are correct and the other person is 100% wrong. And when you have that, you have conflict. If you could actually change your perspective and say, I won't, I've told you my view, but I will listen now. You tell me why you have your view and I'll see if I can process that and take some of that. And then I'll, I'll come back to you with my improved offer in my viewpoint. And we'll see whether together we can negotiate a position where we don't cancel each other but we find a way to, to live together and to respect one another. 
Thank you so much because we're almost at the end of the podcast. Um, uh, before I ask you the final question, we indeed spoke a lot about education today and uh, terminology, educating yourself, staying informed. Uh, Emery already mentioned some uh, Netflix series that and, and documentaries that we should definitely check out. Um, Michiel, maybe start with you. Any other tips that you would have, uh, maybe specifically on the workplace? What if we want to learn more? What if we want to stay engaged? Um, who should we follow? What should we read? Yeah, so so I work in, in the publishing industry, so I really encourage so everybody to read yeah, okay. many more books. <laughs> um, and you know, if you've seen the movie uh, "Call Me by Your Name," don't hesitate and buy and read the book. Yeah. <laughs> the book is so good. Yeah, it is really much better. It's okay. much better. Yeah, yeah. I, I personally really enjoyed uh, Post, by the way. Uh, and and since I'm of a certain age, I, I went to a ball in the '80s in the, in New York. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, my God, it was amazing. Um, and yeah, so. In, in workplace for workplace pride, there is a clear business case. I mean, there are wonderful books actually that make the economic case that shows that you will actually lose out if you do not embrace diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Yep. Um, whether that's as a company, but also as as, as an economy, as a country. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you're still hesitating because there's a clear moral case there, but if you also need the business case, there are, there are very good publications there. Cool. And yeah. could you share some of those titles with us so that we can put yeah, them in the show I'll do notes? That. Absolutely. Perfect. Ian, any uh, tips and tricks that you would like to share? Yeah, my, my I would finish where I started and I would say keep certain keywords in your attitude as you go towards the idea of pride, respect. Um, think about the uh, respect for equality or people all being equally worthy of respect from the outset as your paradigm. And that will guide you if you use respect as the place where you find a way to think how I process a piece of information. If you are listening and you choose to, I just encourage you, take what you've learned today, what you've heard, and choose to become a visible ally to, to even just some part of what you've heard today. By you being a visible ally, you will change other people's lives around you and other people will follow you because you'll become a role model through what you say, what you do. It's not so difficult. If you're in a, a meeting, have a rainbow flag or your Lego set, your pride Lego <laughs> set behind you uh, on display. Um, if you are speaking to somebody and you happen to have read Call Me By Your Name, a fabulous book, I agree, reading books is also great to go with films. So mention it to people you work with, people who are friends. Let them see that LGBT plus inclusion is a natural part of everybody's life. Um, and in terms of my personal recommendation for what to read, I cannot go past one of my favorite authors, Armistead Maupin and the Tales of the City series. These are nine books. They go from uh, the mid-70s San Francisco, all of the wonderful hedonism of, of San Francisco and the community all the way through the 80s, and they come right up to recently through these nine books, and they're just absolutely a joy to read. Tales of the City would be my recommendation. Well, and we still have full summer, so nine books should be totally doable. Thanks so much. Start with book one. Yeah, yeah start, start with, with one. one. Always start with the first one. Um, Noah, what would you like to leave our listeners with in terms of, uh, well, people, maybe also people to follow on Instagram that yeah. you're interested in? Or Well, yeah, talking about businesses and corporate uh, things, I would really like to uh, suggest Corporate Queer. They've been uh, on our podcast. Yeah, because... It's just it's just a good account to follow, and it's yeah. just a wonderful team that's behind it. Um, but also, um, we were talking about uh, visibility and uh, the importance of it. And 
there's just a lack of it in general. Um, but I would really recommend the documentary Disclosure on Netflix. Yeah. Um, it's still very much um, focused on uh, trans women. Uh, f- I think it was very much focused on trans women, but it's very important to see and how it's been changing, but how it's also still not, yeah. th- we're not there yet. No. Um, and then we also had, a we talked a lot about language and yep. indeed making mistakes and how that's okay to do. Um, so one thing I really want people to realize that if you make a mistake and someone corrects you, um, example for pronouns, don't say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, <laughs> but accept it and say thank, thank you. Because okay. <laughs> um, I've just... If you're saying sorry, you're putting someone in a weird position. You're putting them in a position to comfort you because you are making a mistake. Yeah. You should just thank them, correct yourself, and move on. Yeah. Because making mistakes is fine. Mm-hmm. Just own it and move yeah. on. And I think that's one thing I really want. That's I'm just trying to get the message out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like say good. thank you. Stop very saying good. sorry. Yeah. I don't want to say oh it's okay. I just want to no. say yeah. You Let's know, just I just continue the conversation. Continue the conversation. <laughs> it's, it's awkward. Yeah. So that's what I want to. Okay. Want to give. Yeah. Very last question to you all. Um, what are your hopes for the pride movement? So say indeed in well, let's say 20 years time. Uh, Noah will have just celebrated their uh, 41st birthday. My then. Goodness. Um, <laughs> What are we celebrating then? We get back here, we have another podcast session and um, we're saying, well, 20 years in, so much has happened. What are you hoping that has happened? I hope there are many more countries where it is marriage equality uh, and where we can all be ourselves. Um, and there are no countries left where, uh, you know, homosexuality is criminalized. Yeah. yeah. So I'm aiming high here, but Amen, uh, yes. why not? <laughs> <laughs> aim, aim for the sun, the moon and the stars. Yeah. yeah. Amber? Yeah, well... Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the goal if we're an OTA world, a world that's open to all. Kapow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. And also just the acceptance and feeling seen. And I just hope that one day we will realize that we are just all humans mm-hmm. and that we do not um, keep holding that binary. Yeah. Because it's just, it's destructive and it's just, it does it doesn't work. No. So we should just let it go. And I just hope that one day I can pee yeah. <laughs> yeah. in public, you know? Just be I in hope public. that in, in, in 20 years, I can just pee wherever I want. Well, <laughs> wherever you want, maybe a bit much. In the toilet. <laughs> in the toilet. But then just, you know, um, without feeling unsafe yeah. or making other people feel Without unsafe. thinking. Yeah. yeah. So. I have so many more questions for you, but our time's really run out because they've been like winking at me to go wrap it up, wrap it up. So I really need to wrap it up. But thank you so much for joining. I thought it was a very interesting conversation. Um, to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. As you know, here come the, the 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 set phrases that we always use. So if you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe because it will really help us raise awareness. And especially also in today's uh, topic on allyship, the more you share this podcast, the better. Um, if you have any questions, any comments, you can reach out to us, the community at thestudenthotel.com. We are still patiently waiting by the inbox. That's it for now. Until next time. Bye.